Hey everybody, welcome to Camps Culture with Live. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Out of Pitch of Truth. This is Life Grigsby. I'm joined by Neil Harden and Bailey McDaniel. We have our producer in the back, and uh, today we're going to be discussing cancel culture and how the Bible relates to it. Uh, Neil, would you mind giving us an introduction to what cancel culture is? Sure. So in a nutshell, cancel culture is a form of social ostracization or of an individual group or company in order to publicly shame them by withdrawing public or financial support. So what does that mean? So... Say someone tweets something 10 years ago, you know, that's might be deemed uh, unacceptable by our culture today. And, you know, someone goes on Twitter and finds that tweet and says, oh, they're, you know, fill in the blank, homophobic, racist, misogynistic, you know, they all these things. And so they say, oh, well, we they need to lose their job. They need to be canceled, quote unquote. So it's like no one should interact with them. No one should support them. No one should. Um, yeah, just basically trying to ostracize them from society. And whether that's you're talking about an individual or, like, maybe a company said something or has a policy you don't like, like, you know, it can go any number of ways, but that's kind of what cancel culture is. So the similar to a form of accountability then? In some ways, yes, because it's often cancel culture is sometimes comes up in the conversation of like the me too movement where it's like a bunch of women come forward saying you know we suffered sexual abuse from this person and so the cancel culture says okay well we should cancel them because of something that they have done wrong and need to be held accountable for and yeah in some ways the cancel culture seeks to hold those in power accountable when they might otherwise have evaded the justice system or where it didn't quite come down the way people thought it should have uh, so it, it is trying to hold people accountable. Uh, like Ephesians 5.11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but it instead expose them. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to bring to light those things which are have been kind of you know, put to the side or hidden and need to be exposed. Um, on the other hand, it has a lot of uh, negatives to it as well. Like cancel culture is often reactionary, quick to judge, like quick to anger. Uh, like you often see a short video clip or like a document that just goes viral and it gets retweeted and commented on over and over again. And so people will form an opinion based off of something that could have been taken out of context. They, um, something that's blown way out of proportion from what it actually is. Um, and like scripture tells us, like if one gives an answer before he hears it, it's to his folly and shame or the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So cancel culture often skips the, uh, the process of actually trying to find out what the truth is. But if we think of it like in the concept of this Me Too movement and like there's multiple women coming forward saying mm-hmm. this has happened to me at the hands of this person mm-hmm. and there's been no justice. I mean, can that be a good thing like for maybe women coming into that workplace and they're like, I don't, I don't want to work for this guy, you know, or I'm not going to be alone with him or you know, whatever it is that they're going to take different actions, actually keeping themselves safer, ultimately. So, I don't know, it just seems like in some instances that would be a really good, healthy thing for society. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Like, there are some cases where cancel culture has, like, good effects and where it is used well. Uh, it's just, on the other hand, sometimes it can also be used to, like, like I said, a, something really small gets blown way out of proportion. Like someone tweets something stupid when they're in high school and it comes back and, oh, now they're canceled because of 
uh, something stupid they said. It's like they, the entirety of their person becomes judged by one mistake. Yeah, and it might not even be a stupid thing at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, culture changes and it shifts and and what's considered culturally inappropriate today may not have been when that person was in high school and posted that tweet. So, I don't know. It just, yeah, seems like we kind of hold people to this, the modern standard and, like, our snobbery and, like, oh, you should have known better, even when we did ourselves didn't know better at that time either. Mm-hmm. So is the church accountable, then, to holding um, their own people? Like, for instance, if I were to make an inappropriate tweet five years ago, my pastor finds out about it, would it be appropriate for the church to come after me or for the the leadership of the church to speak to me about it or even just lay it to rest because it was so long ago. I I do think, like, you know, obviously not everything ages well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there is a place to go back and say, hey, this doesn't look good. You know, you should probably go delete it. Um, I don't know if people should be losing their jobs and livelihoods over little mistakes like that. Um, Obviously, there's instances where you say something stupid or maybe inappropriate or just like kind of out of bounds Mm -hmm. but uh, there's other large instances like you mentioned where it's like people have suffered great injustice or sexual assault or something really big it's like no there needs to be more consequences to it than just you know delete this uh, sweep it under the rug type of thing so I I think it'll depend on the situation so we're talking about cultural issues racism homophobia Um, what about you know if there is confliction between different denominations, right? Why aren't certain denominations going after the other based on their biblical beliefs? Um, I don't know if you have anything to speak into that, but that's just something that crossed my mind. Yeah, I mean, there is a Christian version of cancel culture where it's like if your doctrines or beliefs fall outside a certain acceptable range then it's like oh we want to cancel this christian celebrity or that christian celebrity and you know there's different factors involved in that because there obviously is a core truth of christianity that we need to hold to and not uh, compromise on that um but usually the christian cancel culture is not on doctrine essentials or at least the examples i've seen it's about peripheral issues and some of which are important like if we're talking about politics a lot of people will divide over their political opinions but um, you know, if they're t- talking heresy about the Trinity or something that's, a, or about Christ's salvation and atonement for our sins, like those are essential aspects of our faith and we mm-hmm. can't compromise on that. Mm-hmm. So why do certain topics take precedent over others uh, when the mob, not the mob, but um, in the way that cancel culture targets, why do they focus on certain issues over others? Uh, I mean, you, you have to ask the culture. I mean, there's just some issues today that people are really into, and uh, especially issues of justice. That's just a really important topic in our modern-day culture today. Yeah, it seems like social justice tends to get the, the front of it. So, yeah, homophobia, racism, all the kind of whatever's the big issue right then is what seems to suddenly there's all these people getting canceled. So when BLM protests are going on, that's the forefront of the news, then suddenly you see a lot of people getting canceled over racism, and then, you know, that kind of passes, and trans, like, trans issues are at the front of the news, and suddenly people are getting canceled over that. So, I, th- I don't know, it seems to go along with what people are intaking, and 
when they intake that, they kind of internalize it, and it's what they want to um, hold people accountable for. Hey, Neil, what was that verse on whoever speaks first? That was uh, Proverbs eighteen seventeen. I think that speaks a lot to the nature of how the mob starts to get momentum, too. You don't even see what the truth is just because it's been so promoted from so many perspectives. Yeah, I think that it really speaks to, like, our intentions don't necessarily lead to good outcomes. Like, we can have really good intentions and say, like, oh, you know, this person said this about so-and-so, and that so-and-so really needs to be held accountable for that. That was wrong. But, and our intention may be good, but that doesn't necessarily make the the study of that really true. And maybe so-and-so didn't mean it like that, and we should have asked them about it. But we come in going, oh, things need to go down like this, but we don't actually know, you know? And so even with those good intentions, we can do more harm than good a lot of times. So it's just a quick reaction to the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that's partly why Scripture tells us, like in Exodus 23, two, it says, You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. You know, a lot of times it's it's the mob that is dictating, oh, this is the right answer, this is what we need to do, we need to condemn this person, when it's like, no, there actually needs to be a process in um, finding out what the truth is. Yeah. Know, you know, that's why we have a justice system where evidence can be presented in an objective way and evaluated, and you know, ultimately, you know, that justice is ultimately done. And we, I mean, we think like the mob is the one that suggested crucifying Jesus, so mm -hmm. we kind of that that obviously wasn't a good decision looking back on it. Um, so it, the mobs aren't always right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Is it more scripturally based to forgive? and to um, understand that an individual can grow in that amount of time, or just to have that mob mentality in, in striking them down for something that they once did years ago? I, I think there's both. We need a, to be able to forgive people, like you were saying, for mistakes that we make, because who of us, who among us could stand in the public eye if everything was known about us that we've thought or said or anything like that? So like, that's why like forgiveness is and grace and mercy are such a central aspect to the gospel and to our faith. On the other hand, there is a place, I think, to offer apologies, to admit, oh, what I said was wrong, what I did was wrong. Um, yeah, and, and of course, like this will all, all depend on the nature of the offense committed. But if it's just like, if you said something stupid, then you, know, you can offer an apology. Yeah, that's not going to kill you. So it has a lot to do with the intent of whatever action is currently being targeted by the cancer Sure, and the, and the severity. Yeah, I think even if, like, your intentions maybe weren't great at the time and you posted a tweet that you shouldn't have, like, if you come forward and say that you're sorry and that was, you know, that was a dumb thing for me to do. I shouldn't have done that. I was angry at whatever and, and posted this. Um, like, that's an opportunity for us to grow. <laughs> and I think, like, as Christians, like, I'm so guilty of that in my day-to-day -day life. And if my family didn't forgive me for every dumb thing I said to them, then we wouldn't have a relationship. And so, like, I don't know, we kind of have to do the same thing. And social media is relatively new, um, and the way that we handle it, therefore, is kind of relatively new. But it's there needs to be some element of forgiveness in saying, like, oh, 
you know, I, I know that you're not perfect and you've come a long way. You've learned from that experience and you've changed. And that's a great thing. And honestly, I respect it. So we've got some articles posted about taking down the monuments that represent Civil War participants and previous, you know, some founding fathers have been put into question, our original presidents, um, because of what they did at the time that was, period, specifically deemed appropriate. Um, and we have other examples of how uh, the Black Lives Matter movement has led to some cancel culture. We have historical references of the mentions of the Me Too movement. Um, all of these having positive and negative ramifications. So when is cultural, like when is the cancel culture needed and actually justified in its application? Like when, when is it actually a good thing? And is there biblical premise for that? As we see, like the Bible is all full of cancel culture and they canceled Christ and then he showed them and he came back. So <laughs> there's, but I mean, that being the epitome of examples of cancel culture and how to overcome cancel culture, like, you know, we're not expecting any of these things that have been canceled to, to rise again in a miraculous means. But beyond that, in our sense, in our, in our worldly view of things, where, where is cancel culture beneficial? Where is it appropriate? So, I don't know if we could draw like this rule uh, or like one rule that could explain when we can use it. I, I think just as Christians, we need to be able to stand on truth. We need to be able to stand on, on love, uh, being central to the gospel, loving God and loving our neighbor. Um, and just how, how both of those things will play out will depend again, like on the severity of what the offense was, you know, the context in which it was done and said, and, you know, all these different factors will have to come into play so that we can use wisdom in trying to navigate it. Um, I think it's probably more dangerous to try and say, oh, well, let's just have this rule, rule, one rule, and let's just go by that for whatever it is. And I really think we, we can do this kind of in a, in a modified sense where we say, hey, you know, I saw this video. What was, what was that about? And bring it into question without saying, oh, I saw this video. Now you need to get fired from your job. You know, like there's, there's moderation here. And, there's, it is good to call into question, you know, if somebody says to me, this person wronged me, to go to them and be like, can we work this out? Or, you know, if they, if it was a really large offense, maybe um, have the police investigate or whatever needs to happen. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we pass one solid judgment and that's the end of the story. Yeah, absolutely. I think there needs to be taken into account... Um, some sort of vetting process, right? If you, if we pick up dirt or dig up dirt on you, and um, our first inclination shouldn't be, oh, what a horrible person! We are going to ostracize you and kick you out of this organization, right? We There's so much dirt. <laughs> so much dirt, right? Uh, it's just sweating. <laughs> no, um, you know, our first inclination should be to first understand the person, right, and who they were back then and who they are now. Um, now, that doesn't justify what may have been in any means. Or still is. Or still is, correct. And um, But that doesn't mean we should approach it 
any means less than with a heart of uh, grace and empathy and and um, understanding, right? Uh, we don't want to jump the gun in in any way, shape, or form. Um, for those of you that don't know, Life is the Director of Operations for Advocates for Faith and Freedom. So, if his answers seem extremely politically correct, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying my best. It's because faith. <laughs> um, so, I want to leave with, with this last question. And should we as Christians uh, be fearful of being subject to cancel cor- culture and should we avoid being the subject of cancel culture? I don't know if we can avoid it, especially in today's day and age. Like if Christians are, and I believe we are, called to engage in the public sphere and to be engaged with the culture, then, you know, when we have unpopular opinions like homosexuality is a sin, like that Christians will be subject to cancel culture. Like Chris Pratt, um, I, don't know, I think he's a self-proclaimed Christian, but it's like he goes to a church that, uh, holds to a traditional view of marriage, and he was the subject of cancel culture because it's like, oh, he's anti-LGBTQ and had to, you know, put out all these statements and try and navigate that whole thing. So, or like transgenderism is another issue, or even like pro-life is another issue. It's like the views that we hold to will come into co- uh, conflict with the culture. Like Jesus warned us and told us that we will be hated by the world. So uh, we shouldn't be surprised when Christians are the um, the victim of cancel culture, you know, and that's just a natural part of when the values of Christ come into conflict with the values of the world, mm-hmm. and when the mob is holding to the values of the world, then they will judge Christians and cancel Christians for what we believe in. Um, so we shouldn't be afraid, you know. Ultimately, it's like our assurance of salvation is is in Christ. It's not in this world. Um, yeah, but yeah, we don't need to be afraid, but we, ju- we, we shouldn't be surprised when we are the target of it. Yeah, we need to really question what's driving our decision-making. And if any of the answers are not, you know, the Bible and um, the Holy Spirit, then that's not where we want to be. Like, mm-hmm. we don't want to be functioning going, oh, like, well, what would the mob say about this today? Or like, am I, am I going to lose followers on Instagram? Am I going to, like, that definitely shouldn't be anything that like um, plays into how we make our decisions because like Neil said they're they're not going to be popular and that's okay Mm. you know and that doesn't mean that we should go out of our way to you know offend somebody if if somebody is transgender I'm not going to go up to them and be like hey I would just like to point out you know all of these bible verses (laughs) not going to be a good way to communicate with somebody it's just it's probably going to make them feel separated from me and we're not going to be able to have a good conversation. But, um, (laughs) that being said, like if, if somebody asks you about what you believe and you back down for fear of being canceled, then definitely we're going to stand before God on what we said and how we answered those questions. Yeah. Like scripture does talk about the fact that we will be held accountable for the careless words that we speak. So, we, we shouldn't be so anti-cancel culture that we just say whatever comes to mind, that we don't speak the truth in a loving way, or that we go about uh, presenting the truths of the gospel in a way that is uh, offensive when it doesn't need to be. Um, obviously, it's like the gospel will be offensive in some ways. It always will be offensive to the world. But how we go about presenting that information makes a huge difference in 
how it's received, how it's uh, perceived, and all these other things. Or I should say, a lot of the political correctness nowadays is whether someone feels offended by what is said. Yeah, and like you can even consider political correctness as like political appropriateness. Like certain contexts, you may be able to use a word or phrase that you can't in other contexts. And that's just something that we're kind of expected as individuals and citizens to know and learn, which can be a lot of expectations, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, it it can be. I mean, you think preferred pronouns is one of the biggest ones right now. It's like, oh, well, if you don't use the right preferred pronouns, then, like, you need to apologize immediately. You need to fix it. And or you're even in danger of being canceled for permanently, whereas, like, you know, 30 years ago, that never really would have been considered question. a question, yeah. So not to say whether or not that's right or wrong, but it, it plays into the way that we view our conversation. So, you know, you just have to learn the right context in which you can say certain things or use certain phrases. Scripture yeah. says to be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. Uh, I think a good rule to go by <laughs> um, you know we obviously are called to stand on truth but it doesn't mean that we need to be overly offensive for no good reason or to be politically incorrect just because we can yeah um, it's like obviously there are some truths which are, which are politically incorrect and will always be politically incorrect but you don't need to be politically incorrect just because you can <laughs> I forget which apologist said it but it was um, talking about like the way that we interact with people when sharing the gospel is like the gospel is offensive enough on its own mm-hmm. like we don't need to add <laughs> our own <laughs> you know yeah our, we don't need to add offense to it from our personality or our person just for the sake of being offensive because definitely I mean just the gospel alone the, the idea that a man came lived a sinless life died and rose again is already a lot <laughs> like yeah, or that you're a sinner and you need a savior yeah. that's offensive that's to a lot of people as it gets. yeah you're depraved <laughs> like uh well that, that's a hard one to come across so <laughs> definitely definitely better to, to limit your own but and i say that with balance too because you're not always going to be politically correct and i think that you're you're going to offend people sometimes. And while it is our responsibility to do our part, um, you know, there's, there's definitely balance to that. If, if you say something nice to me and I get offended, it's, it's kind of like I should be examining, okay, well, Neil was trying to be nice and I shouldn't maybe have, have taken it that way because he had good intentions and, and actually said something very nice to me. (laughs) So but there's also, I think, a conversation to be had. It's like, you know, I, I know you meant well, but it came across to me this way. And that would be yeah. helpful for me, too. It's like to know how I sound to another person when I may intend one thing, but it comes across com- in a completely different way. Like there are, I think there's a conversation to be had there, too. And I think that's the great opportunity in all of this is discourse. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so much of this lacks nuance. It lacks discourse. We make a judgment, and then we never let that person say anything. We never let that person talk so it's really this one-sided argument of hey you're bad you're this you're that and they never get apart and so it's like just like with this example the other person needs to have a part and they need to be part of coming to a conclusion that works for both people um you know every time that somebody gets canceled it's just 
we never hear from them again because they don't get any airtime. They don't get to explain what what their thoughts at that moment were. Yeah. So essentially, we should be comparing our own uh, actions, our own thoughts, pretty much every aspect of our lives to Scripture, right? And as we continue to learn how to display Christ's love and to communicate God's truth to those around us, um, we should always be mindful of those things. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time, and I hope that our, our uh, platform here and, and the message that we convey is of encouragement to you and as thought-provoking as it is to us as we continue to uh, understand God's um, word and how it takes part in our lives. Uh, so thank you so much. You can find us at advocatesfortruth.com. You can read our blog, watch our videos, and uh, thank you for taking your time.